Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. January is over, but the contest to replace Mark Drakeford as First Minister still has plenty of time to run. And there has been other news as well in Wales. Ospreys are causing more problems to the Welsh Government finances than since the WRU budget negotiations. There's a child poverty strategy that's come out to much criticism. And there's also been very interesting debates over Senate reform, the free-to-air status of the Six Nations, and of course, Tata Steel. Joining me to talk about this and much, much more is Richard Martin. Hello, Rich. Hello, Matthew. And Curry Davis. Hello, Curry. Evening, gentlemen. So uh, we should probably uh, tick off the um, Welsh Labour leadership at the top, but try and keep this nice and tight, Rich. But I think you've probably got a few questions about what's going on. I think there's a couple of things that I would pick up. Really appreciated your thread of CLP nominations um, that um, projected them onto a map of Wales based on the new Westminster and potentially St. Earth constituencies. Let's watch what happens on that. Um, you did a great explainer on Walescast about the nature of CLP nominations, so we shan't cover that again. The thing that I just wanted to draw up uh, is the surprising distribution of those CLP nominations the one, the bit that caught my eye was really the fact that Vaughan Gething has been working very hard to garner support from members of the Welsh Parliament and members of the UK Parliament uh, in the North East. And all of the CLPs in the North East supported endorsed Jeremy, um, which I just find an interesting thing, particularly given what you might consider the fact that the North East of Wales would probably be more inclined to vote for what one might consider a more British Welsh candidate, and in the somewhat artificial way that the uh, candidates have been divided, one would have assumed that that may have been Vaughan Gething. Um, kind of curious to know if you have any idea why that might be. I, I, I think as much as I found the process of doing the map of CLP nominations very interesting, quite fun because I'm a massive nerd, um, I don't know if we can read too much into the geographical spread of them i think you're probably better off looking at the sort of perceived political divide and uh, between the left and the right of the labor party when you're looking at those clp nominations i think that's probably the clearer indication um i think that those clps that traditionally back candidates more to the left have tended to tended towards jeremy those who have traditionally picked candidates of the labor right have tended towards warm but it's not an exact science uh, and because because of the nature of the discussion that's currently ongoing between those candidates, there's not a massive amount dividing them. So it's I think it's 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 rather silly to start trying to draw arbitrary lines. It is just I think a, a mixture of who whose local MS is backing who, who's organised the ground campaign to win those CLP nominations the best. And you know you're looking you're looking between five and eight percent of people in each uh, constituency Labour Party turning up to these nomination meetings. You know they're not. They're not the biggest indicator of who we think is going to win. Like I said uh, on Wellscast this morning, it's it's. I don't recall a situation where the person who uh, won the CLP, won the most CLP nominations didn't subsequently go on to win. But we're talking a difference of one in this election, so I still think we're very much within the margin of error there. So yeah, going back to your question, Rich, I don't think there's much we can read into the geographical divide. Though I also find it very interesting on that basis that Vaughan won an awful lot of those seats in the southeast of Wales. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and and to just revisit this slightly weird question about the perceived um, difference being the pro-devolution or even 
more pro-devolution um, differentiated between the two candidates. I'm quite interested in this because over the last uh, the last week or so, certainly since the publication of Vaughan's manifesto, it's been very clear that they have been trying to address the that perception. Um, and but despite all that, I was quite tickled this morning that even though, as it appears, the two have combined, and this is largely not to want to to reduce it down to you know a matter of sentences, but this is largely um, coalesced around the push for devolution of policing and justice devolution of the crown estate and uh, question mark over uh, royal devolution. It was quite interesting to me to see a good friend of the podcast, uh, Lee Waters, um, quote tweeting um, Jeremy Miles earlier uh, and uh, with the phrase, appetites for strengthening devolutions, the devolution settlement for Wales is one of the key dividing lines in the election for the new Welsh, new Welsh Labour leader. So we all see it as being not apparently so much simply on the paper and the campaign literature and the manifestos but to have that from a government deputy minister someone inside government to be so explicit that that is actually the case how they see it or at least how he perceives it inside government i think there might be more to it than the publicity materials might deny and maybe the key word there is appetite because you can all sign up to a policy You've previously noted that this is actually just Welsh government policy, but the appetite with which you will pursue that particular policy appears to be the suggestion that is a differentiator. And and I just think, you know, that is a data point at which that we should probably accept is a um, a genuine point. It's it's really tough to say, Rich, and I, I don't really want to labour these points too heavily, but it it is at least the perception of members that uh, Vaughan would be the person who, quote-unquote, goes back to basics, does not focus so heavily on the constitutional stuff. Um, and the, the sort of, oh, the, the, the Drakefordite tradition of that clear red water grouping of Labour supporters in Wales t- attending towards Jeremy because they do, on the, purely the basis of vibes, really, feel like he is more in favour of devolution than Vaughan. But I I see no evidence of this. I think they are both pushing fundamentally very similar tax on this. Um, I think maybe Jeremy has put that more in front and centre of his campaign, holding it into the initial six pledges he, he, he handed down. But whomever gets into that position as first minister, in order to get more powers to Wales, would have to enter into a bum fight with the UK Labour Party, and I can't see that happening immediately because I... Prior to a general election. Well, well, yeah, and certainly probably not within the first year of the general election either. I think you are much more likely to see the push for further devolution into Wales and broader constitutional change come from people like Mark Drakeford once he's retired from the role of First Minister. Mm, Yeah, Uh, Lord Mark Drakeford of of Pancana, you mean? I'm joking. That's just a joke to reference to any earlier part. Uh, Lovely to have the return of Vibes discourse back. Thank you for that, Matthew. Uh, Kerry, uh, I know this isn't your number one subject of the the time, but do you have any thoughts before we move on? Let's just toss a coin and get one of them in. This both seem much of a muchness to me. The manifestos focus on the same things. They both want to be green. They both want to cut waiting lists educate people house people you know it's it's much of a muchness they both seem well established politicians in welsh government i think both 
for what Welsh Labour want will do that job. First Minister, both will do that job. Has either of them got more baggage than the other? I don't know. I think on my set, when I was talking to my parents, Vaughan was known for storming away from an interview and swearing on TV. Jeremy was just not really that well known. You know, they don't have a vote in it. But I just do wonder whether that kind of baggage hangs around with anyone. But um, no, I'm just looking forward to it now to be over. I thought the Unite thing was quite interesting. I did think um, that was really poor by that particular union. And I thought Jeremy calling that out was the right thing to do. And Vaughan not calling it out wasn't the right thing to do because we want our unions to be better than that. And what Unite did there was poor, really. But I was also interested that all the unions seemingly, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but seemingly all the ones who make the call have all gone for Vaughan without asking any members. And the co-op party is asked the members and they went for Jeremy. Yeah, so there's there's um, both uh, candidates got nine affiliate nominations each. Vaughan got most of the large trade unions, but Jeremy got ASLEF and the NUM, the National Union of Mine Workers, backing him as well. But their uh, NUM especially now is, is a very small trade union. But because we got rid of the... Uh, the electoral college it doesn't really matter anyway well i'm glad i'm glad you corrected me there because um it did seem the big social media so the big ones went for vaughan again though none of them asked members it was just this kind of political committee chit chat picking one over the other was it uh i mean that has traditionally been the way that the unions decide how they're going to nominate people it's the political committee of the trade union they hold all the power and they vote and they decide Ah, what would life be without a smoky room somewhere? I think, uh, if I can just hop in, chaps, I do think the one thing uh, that uh, our friend of the pod, Will Haywood, has flagged in his latest newsletter that I think is really pertinent, though, is the COVID inquiry is looming, and it does coincide uh, with the leadership election. I do think that there is a strong risk for the Vaughan Keffing campaign that if that goes badly for him, that there could be some um, blowback on that. Can I tell you why I disagree? Yeah, because the ballot opens on the 14th of February and the COVID inquiry in Wales is until the first week of March. Most Labour Party members will vote in the first week of receiving their ballots. OK, uh, which I makes me, makes me agree with Kerry. I think we should have had this contest and uh, be much tighter. But um, I, I just think most most people who are going to vote would have voted by the time of that COVID inquiry. OK, I'm, I'm right. Last thing on this. I'm, I'm into five-dimensional chess on this as well. I think that there is a reputational issue based on my two taxi drives today with Vaughan Gething. I think there is a perception that will people will feel that he is going to come in for a pasting in that inquiry and that they might not want the First Minister to have that lingering around them. i just putting it out there because, you know, taxi research is obviously the best research. Can I can I give you again my thought on this? So notoriety is a double-edged sword. Yeah. So people may have, and I'm not saying this, but you may you're you're putting to me the idea that people will associate Vaughan with uh, a negative thing, such as the COVID inquiry and how Welsh government handle COVID. 
but at least they know who he is. Yeah, I, know. I saw that poll. I, I know the poll that you're thinking uh, of. And the and the poll we're talking about, which we'll get into the Redford Wilton polling in a minute, but there was one bit of that, which is who is most likely to be who who do who do the voters want to be the next FM? Yeah. Uh, and a plurality of of uh, respondents said they would they would back Vaughan, but there was also a massive don't know category, which usually indicates that people don't really know who the candidates are at all. Yep. Um, I'm fascinated if they'd run a dummy poll on that and they'd put a third candidate in that wasn't real. All proper geeks are aware of the poll thing I'm talking about. The the poll where oh. they put a fake Plaid Cymru MEP in and they been like 15% of people said, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Um, I'd be fascinated to see what they did if they'd run that poll like that because I, I, just, I just don't think that the notoriety in the public at large of those two candidates is as high uh, as 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 people may think it is i think we look back on the polling we had pre-pandemic of the of the labor candidates there and people were saying five percent knew who mark draper was obviously that mm. changed because of the, the pandemic that that i think is why vaughan is doing so well in those uh, polls above and beyond everything else more people have heard who he is uh, from my understanding of how the campaign is actually going on the ground, it is incredibly close. Incredibly, incredibly close. We are talking genuinely within the margin of error here from the people I've, who I have spoken to involved in both campaigns who are doing all the work on the ground and speaking to members. It is, it is a knife edge. The idea that one candidate is that far ahead, it's for the birds for me. I just I can't see it being true. Point of order, uh, it was Elwyn Davis... Um, a made-up name uh, came second in a list of best-known members of the European Parliament in 2016, and the Twitter account Elwyn Davis MEP still exists nice. for nerds. Uh, we mentioned Redfield um, polling, Redfield and Wilton polling. Yeah. Let's talk about what came out of that. What um, in the Welsh context? Sure. Uh, sorry, just for those who don't know, Redfield and Wilton do a monthly Welsh polling tracker. Uh, so in the Westminster constituency vote, it shows Labour with a lead of 28% over the Conservatives, uh, reform on 12%, Plaid Cymru beaten into fourth place on 11%, the Liberal Democrats on 4%, the Greens on 4 and other on 1%. And I've done some work on mapping that to our new constituency boundaries in Wales, and it delivered uh, a calculation of 28 seats for Labour, two for Plaid Cymru and two for the Conservatives, um, with obviously the massive caveats, it's universal, swing, etc. And it's a projection, not a prediction. I don't necessarily think that Labour are going to win on this morn, uh, which this projection shows and things like that. And we don't have data, good data for the new constituencies because they've never existed before. Exactly. We do not know how people will campaign and how they'll work. So this is an imprecise science, but broadly speaking, that's theoretically how the swing will show it going. And and just to sort of give another data point on that, other um, Welsh-based political analysis teams that may or may ha not have appeared on this podcast in the past did similar modelling, similar results. The key takeaway from me was, apart from the slight variation in the analysis for Plaid Cymru, um, I think they had uh, the same results, but four for Plaid Cymru and two for the Conservatives and the rest Labour. Um, I think the key thing for me was that Yes, that question about whether reform are actually going to outpoll Ply Cymru is a question and probably setting a few hairs racing in Ply Cymru. But I think more specifically, the thing that's kind of more indicative of um, a big change of recent is the fact that the Conservatives, despite everything that is going on at the moment, um, will likely hold um, 
the new Brecon, Brecon, uh, Radnor, and us. Cum Tower. Cum Tower um, seats and the Maldon and Glendur seats. Um, and I think that is an indication that unfortunately the Lib Dems continue to be nowhere to be seen um, from a Lib Dem point of view. Yeah, the, the, the danger for the Lib Dems, I, I think they're miles away in Montgomeryshire. I think the danger for the Lib Dems is that. Um, are you going to say Labour are doing well in Cum Tower? Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, no, I, I, I think if if uh, if Labour do really really well in that Cum Tower part of of the constituency, which is basically old Neath, yeah, uh, also Neath, yeah, and the Lib Dems find themselves in a really bad year, coming third in that election, they could be perceived to not be the progressive alternative to the Tories in that seat anymore, and that could be really really damaging for the long term. That's it is you know I you know we'll return to this potential existential event for the Lib Dems until. Terry. Kerry, Powis Whisperer. Powis Whisperer, yeah, no matter. No, I, th I think you've called it. Um, I, I do think Brecken and Radner, I, Kum Tower, you can add on, um, could go Lib Dem if they played a different game, but um, I, I'll, I'll readily admit that there are definitely blue voting people in a very extended family I have, and they're, they're, they're going to carry on voting blue, I think, no matter what this year. Um, so I can't see, um, I can't see that one changing. I don't, I don't know Montgomery so well at all. I don't know who the Lib Dems have picked there, but I do think uh, choice of candidate in some of these areas is important, and I don't think the Lib Dems have got that quite right in BNR. Yeah, we, I think, you know, with apologies to David, who I know has participated in some of our live events in the past. I think there is a, there is a long-standing question mark there that um, we've litigated in the past. I just don't think that you, in order to be a local candidate that breaks through the otherwise poor media showing of that party, you need to be truly, truly exceptional. And I'm, I don't know David well enough to say that to say that he isn't that. Um, but it, it is going to be really difficult, given how little press attention the Lib Dems get overall, to say that they'll be able to swing that dial far enough yeah. in order to take that seat. I just don't think they will be. And I know we've talked before about um, the potential for a Lib Dem revival in an expanded Senate based on PR lists. But I do think what you've said earlier, Matt, this was mulling, I was mulling over this earlier. If Labour were able to take second place in Cum Tower, Bracken, Radnor, um, then actually I wonder if a lot of those people might think, well, we'll actually we'll just cast for Labour rather than choosing the Lib Dems. Anyway. We've covered that. Shall we talk about the other POIS related or POIS adjacent story that's been in the news? That um, might be lightening the tone a little bit. Come on, you, I, I, I need, I need to hear Kerry's thoughts on Jason Far. No, no, it, it, it's a, it's a mess. It's, it's another. It, I, I'm coming. I'm. We're recording the end of a week, and I've been working away this week. I am shattered, and it's another one of the kind of continuing Wales budget mishaps, which. Throughout my career, there's a litany of them. Some are in the public vein, like Rifu. Some aren't. And it just, it's fine. I just find it quite depressing that we continue to have these. And, you know, we, oh, it's four and a half million. It's not a huge issue at Gileston Farm. But, you know, it, it's symptomatic of a wider budget and funding approach, which just really does great on me. Matt, go on. What did you what did you think of it? Well, I, I mean, I just find it so. I, I know I I shouldn't, 
I know I really shouldn't, but I think it is one of the most Welsh stories I've ever heard in my entire life. That a that a significant Welsh government investment has been kiboshed by a pair of nesting ospreys. It feels like a Monty Python sketch rather than existing in a serious democracy. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, but uh, read between the lines. It's not really the ospreys, is it? It, it the, the whole scheme. Like it's 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 been spun so well that we've got this environmental boom. But that's not what happened to the farm. They bought it with no business plan, a ridiculous kind of approach. No one knows why, what it was gonna be for. It fell apart from when as soon as it went public locally. And um I think if you know the local area and there's strong opposition to it by certain people, and it, it was just manna for heaven. To the opposition, really, wasn't it? But it's just white, like I said, it's a wider budget issue for me. I don't understand why Welsh government are buying farms for a private entity. Well, where, where's your, where's your banks? Where's, where's the, the support for, to do these business propositions? I just don't understand it. Yeah, it certainly feels like something the Development Bank for Wales could have financed rather than the Welsh government directly. Are you suggesting that the investment in a new TVR facility at Ebu Vale is not going to stand the test of time? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it depends. What are your thoughts on Sony Imbrigens? <laughs> I love it. We can play. We do a whole top trumps on failed investments. I think that's absolutely. I, I, I'm still sad right. they didn't uh, decide to put loads of money into the Circuit of Wales and uh -huh. uh, the thousands of jobs that, that would have created. Hey. Somewhere out there, there are two high things needing a cable car between them. And let's have, I'll have nothing more said on the matter. There's going to be a zip line in Cardiff. We've seen this. What? From the Millennium Stadium. That might actually make some money. So, um, <laughs> right, we've done that. Uh, and, and kudos to the committee, the Senate committee that unearthed it and drew attention to that in the first place, uh, the Jarston Farm. I think it was it was it was um, public council committee, wasn't public it? That, council, that really put a thing. Anyway, um, yep, great. Uh, uh, so I, I think uh, James Evans needs a, a fair pat on the back as well. He's he's absolutely held the Welsh government's feet to the fire on this, and uh, as the local MS for Brecon and Radnor, and uh, he was. I would encourage people to go back and listen to the topical question that was on this week in the Senate relating to Jarston Farm because uh, he seemed angry and aggrieved and uh, i don't think the welsh government had really much to say in response yeah uh where are we going next chaps well i've had an awful month in terms of research and it's been really busy but one of the big ticket items um and there have been a lot of big ticket items um uh steel has obviously dominated and we must touch on that but um you two of your political anorocks on um the the commission report for wales which was published i haven't really looked at it can someone give a quick synopsis of that and how it's um, been received? Because it's gone very quiet and I, I'm just not in the loop on it. So that report came up with a number of recommendations. Basically, it, it, it tried to look at whether Wales could be an independent country, whether Wales could have additional devolution or whether basically Wales should stay much the same. It uh, said that Wales could be... So an independent Wales could be viable, which Plaid Cymru then ran with for days, saying an independent Wales was viable. It, to me, if you didn't think that before, why have you been campaigning for Welsh independence for as long as you have? But anyway, and it's viable. 
as as a marketing tool goes, is not necessarily the way I would describe my uh, dream project either. Uh, beneficial would maybe the way I would try and uh, at least sell it a little. Um, but it also within that report uh, recommended a devolution of a whole raft of additional powers to Wales. Um, it has basically been the culmination of a multi-year process that originates out of the cooperation agreement uh, between Welsh Government and Plaid Cymru. And uh, I think whilst it received a little bit of positive media attention in the days that immediately followed it, it has rather quickly fallen off. And um, I think that it will be a, another very expensive shelf warmer, Kerry. You'll be glad to hear. Just picking up on that, Matt, I, I wouldn't say I'm pleased to see it as a, a shelf warmer. I think, you know, that's one of my bugbears. But from what you just said and from my initial news report uh, reading of it, well, I haven't done the detail yet. It's been a phenomenally busy month. But it does sound like a lot of it was what um, you could have written when it started, really. I don't think there's no, there isn't any surprises in there, really, is there? It's 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 very in keeping with basically every report we've had in the history of devolution, right? Which is saying that the in order to be effective, the place needs a greater remit because it because it because it comes out of a cooperation agreement with Plaid Cymru. There is obviously going to look at the question of independence, but it's not a glowing recommendation for independence. It essentially says that Wales could be an independent country. Of course, Wales could be an independent country. There are smaller poorer countries than wales of course wales can be an independent country but what the report doesn't necessarily do is 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 lay out the groundwork for how that could happen and how it could benefit wales and it, good it doesn't do that because it's not the remit of the report that is for political parties to make the case and convince the electorate of it um but no i agree with you Kerry. i don't think fundamentally this report has has moved the day massively i think that there will be some people who think it will now play some part in any subsequent report from Gordon Brown pertaining to how UK Labour should approach devolution. But as we've seen from comments from the Shadow Secretary of State for Wales, immediately after the right report came out, I don't think it is, in, it is indicative of a UK Labour Party willing to move you know, incredibly rapidly in that direction. I think any constitutional change that happens in Wales will be significantly more piecemeal and gradual. Uh, and, and whilst the leadership candidates both will push for additional powers, that will have to be a negotiated process. I don't think it will immediately come from uh, being contained in the UK Labour Party manifesto. I, I just did think Joe Stevens is the Welsh Labour um, Shadow Secretary of State pretty much shut down some of those big ticket items, which I think we could have expected, but I don't think there's any expectation now in the near term for things like police and uh, justice to be devolved. I, I, I'll, I'm going to try a quick counterpoint. Just in the say that why was Joe Stevens asked about to clarify her, the UK party's approach to that? It was because of the publication of the report, and the counter uh, the uh, the response to Joe Stevens' comments has been very strident assertions on both uh, by both campaigns of the one of you know our future first minister, whichever one it is, that they endorse existing Welsh Labour policy to pursue um, devolution of policing, justice, crown estate, and so on and so forth. So I would suggest that, it, although the report has a great deal of context, I would say that it has already played some impact on the Welsh Labour leadership contest, even if it has just prompted a restatement of existing policy more clearly. 
and that's that's all I would say. Um, let's move on, chaps. Um, you, just, you just basically described the shelf warming situation, which Matt <laughs> put them. <laughs> you guys, we we will come back to that report, yeah, and I, I think also, I, I would like to say, I think that there is more to be written about the response to it than we have currently been able to do. So there's other things that are, no doubt, filling um, filling our minds with stuff to talk about. So let's do let's talk about something else. What's next, chaps? Well, I, I'd like if you've been there. I've only again on the periphery of um, my reading this month has been. The new child poverty strategy for Wales. I, I think again, don't want to say these are shelf warmers because some of them will eventually deliver. But it's it's a massive personal interest of mine where we are with children, um, and you know, does it put the Future Generations Act really into perspective? Are we doing things to address that? But I believe it was heavily criticised. I think um, the child, the children's commissioner spoke out quite harshly against it. I think, uh, Matt, has it come across anything you've looked at this month? Well, the, the child poverty strategy, I, yeah, I just echo what you said, basically, Carrie. It's one of these weird Welsh government things where there doesn't really seem to be sort of bold ambition without much accountability, essentially. Very in keeping with a lot of these these bold ambitions and strategies the Welsh government are, are, have produced in recent years. And for me, like you, I'm a big fan of any plan like this having some sort of monitoring feature, but also some a level of accountability, but also some teeth for those individuals who are responsible for this that don't necessarily deliver on what they are asked to do. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's all well and good having an ambition to solve child poverty, but the Welsh Government had that ambition to solve child poverty many moons ago, and they said they'd get rid of it. By, was it by 2020, Rich? Was that original? Was that the I original? It was, yeah. yeah I original it was, ambition, yeah. Uh, you know, and the number keeps going up. So I, I, I know a lot of the economic levers to solve poverty are out of the hands of the Welsh government, but um, I think everybody involved in the, the child poverty and poverty in general uh, field would be much happier if this uh, strategy contained within it some clear milestones for uh, progress from the Welsh government. It, it, it's a symptomatic the child poverty targets of our of the way we do politics. It was never going to happen like that. And I think one of the big things of devolution, or certainly in the last ten years, has been the realization of how hard putting targets to policies are. Because I think if you think any of the big sectors from health through to climate change, targets have gone out the window. Um, and in many many countries missing the targets like we have would have often resulted in a change of administration but we're not that way here i'm going to open myself up to criticism here because but i really do think that the children's commissioner uh, did exactly what i'd like a children's commissioner to do and really call it out but i i've just got the the news articles and what she said um there about the targets and things like that and holding jane hut to to account and you know I, I think that the commissioners you don't often see them uh a lot but i think when this month when we needed to uh rocchio has uh come forward and really done what we wanted to do there well i i know that she's uh she's been in touch and i'm hoping that we can find an opportunity to have her on the pod and um, no doubt we will ask her about that as and when um, the opportunity presents uh, you also, uh, moving on, uh, Kerry, you also have 
put a, a whole bunch of transport related stuff, uh, unsurprisingly. In who's put Abu Vale in there? Is that oh, who do you think put Abu Vale in there? Yeah, well, that was me. Before we before we do these uh, monthly pods, I do like to have a look to see what Welsh government have announced um, because I do think some of what goes out it just slips under the radar, and the Welsh government news and announcement pages are a, a real useful uh, place to find out exactly what's going on in Wales. And there's a huge amount that goes on which doesn't come get in any kind of news publication um so i do have a look at that before we do these kind of these, these catch up and see what's happened and what's out. and there is a but you know i i worked back in the early noughties on opening up the Ebervale line and at that time the spur there it was meant to go to newport as well so i had to mention and put in the script that uh it did the Ebervale to newport rail service did start a couple of days ago uh, it's only taken a little under over 20 years, but uh, it's there. And it's, I think that is a, a good piece of connectivity for the people of the Monmouthshire Valleys. Right. Um, next, chaps. Yeah, we, we, we must talk, to, talk about steel and, uh, well, this was coming. Uh, Professor Calvin Jones has written and spoken around the future of steel in Wales for a long time, many years. And I, I share his frustrations with those, that kind of look at the future, that horizon scanning we probably should have been doing 15, 10, five years ago even, has just been kicking the can down the road. So green steel, whether you think that's a, a proposition using hydrogen, whether that's a proposition, or it's seemingly where we're going, the electric arc furnaces. We, ha we just haven't planned or prepped to an extent that we we should have. And it's it's not what we didn't know, because like I say, we've got some of our foremost thinkers, economists, academics in Wales have been calling this quite some time. We know the unions have been looking at it. So it's interesting how we got here. And it, there's an awful lot of views on it, but um, I don't think it's the end of the matter. I think this is going to run for much of 24, isn't it? Yeah. I know I completely agree, Kerry. I think it's unfortunately a, a a degree of political short termism from the UK government in in terms of how they approach large scale infrastructure. I think steel is one example, but also if you look at the experience of Nexperia and semiconductors in uh, Newport, that cluster was I think dreadfully let down by the failure of the UK government to act in time to take advantage of that. And it, the, the you know we will need steel. It is a key strategic uh, part of our economy, whether it's for defense or uh, renewable energy. I think if we are serious about tackling climate change, we will need to build more things such as solar panels, such as wind turbines in the UK. And the best way to do that is by using British virgin steel. Um, and I, you know, I, have, I have to declare an interest here. My father is a steel worker. So for me, it's it's something very dear to my heart. And it's, it's a huge worry i think for all of us that um that uh there seems to be just an acceptance that this is going to happen now i think one of the most interesting questions that's been asked about this is from beth winter in the welsh affairs select committee where basically she asked tata can you hold off until there's a general election because there's a genuine belief that the uk labor party would be able to find a way of keeping the three thousand jobs nearly in that area 
I mean, that's just going to be decimating. Sorry, I'll use the proper word. Disastrous. I only use disastrous for the area. Absolutely gutting. Not only to the the immediate people who've lost their jobs, but all the small businesses that depend on their uh, on those people coming in every day to the supply chain in the area. It's it's going to be horrific, and I, I I just think they need to they need to find a way forward that isn't this cliff edge. We all we all know that that steel is a huge polluter. We we do, and if we're serious about climate change, we've got to deal with it and find a, a better way of doing it. But this cliff edge is just is just cruel especially when we've known about it for for so long. I found it quite interesting. You mentioned there about the need of steel for wind turbines, and we do. We're going to need huge amounts of steel um, in the future for various... Everything in society relies on that uh, in some form. Um, but it, it's, the, it's the, the need of virgin steel, because Tata is saying that... Um, the art furnaces, which is recycling steel, can produce something like 95% of the grade steel we want. But I, one of the things I found um, really difficult was I was trying to find out a lot of the information around around the whole issue, around jobs, supply chains, uh, the imports needed for what we do, the exports, the, the climate issues. And I found it really strange that in the, um, the government announcements which came out, both Welsh government, UK government, uh, etc., there was no kind of link to a really comprehensive information pack about the arguments one way or another. And I thought that was quite strange. That the, Some of the union's uh, announcements were quite good. But to be honest, the best announcement with the most information that was put out, I found in January, was by Tata. Um, I thought... That, that might have said something as well about the, all those involved in it. Well, it, it does appear that Tata have, have uh, held out hope for people like Beth Winter that if the UK government was willing to put a little bit more money in, that they would keep things going in the short term. This, should, we, should we get a, a pod sometime around nationalisation, though? Because if Tata are just going to stay for money, we might as well nationalise the site and... Uh, do something ourselves but you know the the reality the reality of a global wave of business is they'll do what's best for their business and i don't know if you saw but on the day tata made that announcement tata steel share price went up on the indian stock exchange and uh i think that's you know where our welsh economy is you know we're reliant on huge global businesses and i think some one of you mentioned so was it Sony earlier? You know, we've got, uh, we could go through, as well as schemes that haven't worked out in Wales, we can go through a huge array of overseas corporations which have been here. And, you know, many have, you know, really embedded themselves in communities. But when push came to shove, boardrooms on another side of the world have closed those plants down. Uh, yes, I think we should do that. Uh, that would be an interesting one for the for the future. Uh, I'm conscious of the clock. It's eight minutes till dinner time, Kerry. What <laughs> would you like to? Uh, what would you like to put up on the list? So we have got we have got rugby this weekend. You know we do. I don't think I don't think you're looking at that for me being fun and frivolous, mate. When I I'm going to predict we're going to get battered. It's going to be a cricket score against the Scots. Well, I'm looking forward to attending in person. But for oh, those people nice. who aren't going to be attending in purpose in person, are the Six Nations? going to be free to air for the foreseeable 
Um, I don't know if you've seen this campaign that the Welsh Conservatives, interestingly, put forward to try and retain uh, free-to-air access to the Six Nations and um, were unsuccessful in terms of getting a response from the UK government. But quite an interesting, one might describe it as a tactical move politically to be the champions of rugby free-to-air in Wales. Um, I, I, as someone who, as you well know, is quite concerned with all matters, broadcasting and communications, I find it continually interesting that given that we have largely four independent sporting nations within the UK, that uh, the uh, reserve list of sporting events that have to be free to air has no uh, devolved aspect whatsoever, and that the UK government can decide unilaterally what is and isn't important. So there is a genuine case to be had, I think, or discussion to be had about whether Wales should be able to have a voice about what is a free-to-air event in for its audiences of its national team in Wales. Um, but it did surprise me that it was the Conservatives that made the biggest splash about that. I, I find it very interesting uh, during that debate that um, the Welsh Conservatives were, I, well, obviously they care about this, I think, genuinely. There's a number of rugby players in that group and, and massive rugby fans. But it's something that Sam Kurt said during that debate, which is, this is us as Welsh Conservatives underlining the Welsh in our name. They, they, they mean it when they say this, I think. They, it is a cultural part of their Welsh Conservatism that they think this should be free to wear. And it is a shame that Welsh, uh, the Conservative MPs in Westminster from Wales voted against uh, this measure the other day, um, but broadly, the issue in the Senate is is unanimous. Everyone thinks this should be free to wear, and I'm not in the business of defending the WRU at all, <laughs> especially not at the minute. But they are saying that if they aren't allowed to question whether they the rugby game should be on paid TV, they they're not sure how long they'll survive, basically. And I think that if you look at the general economic state of the game in Wales, where we're really struggling to keep four regions going, uh, we're losing players uh, to Japan, to England, and to the NFL now, uh, simply because they, these players can earn such larger sums of money. They don't have long careers, and the money isn't actually that good, really, compared to other professional sports people, especially with the profile that they get. Um there's a big question to ask that how viable will the game be if you don't have this this money coming through? And don't get me wrong, I, I remember watching the Ashes on in 2005 on Channel 4 and falling in love with cricket. That's why I fell in love with cricket, is because I could watch it on free-to-air TV. Um, but I fell in love with football too, and I could basically only watch the FA Cup games on, on when they were on BBC and ITV and go to the in part with my dad it's it's the there are ways around it i don't want rugby games off free to air bbc tv i'll say the less i say about itv's commentary the better but fundamentally i want them on free to air tv but it, there is a big question to ask about the sustainability of funding of the game uh not only in Wales but but across the the, the, the uk and the british isles so it's just a word of caution i want them to stay on bbc absolutely but we if that's your, if that's your position, we, let's have a serious conversation about where we find the money to make sure the game survives. 
certainly sporting rights from a, for, from a broadcast point of view are whoa expensive um, and I, how BBC Wales has managed to retain some of the existing sporting rights as uh, Roger Talvan Davis has said on a number of occasions um, is through goodwill and good work by BBC Wales frankly and S. Pedorek of course uh, with regards to many of it many of the rights as well it is a, it is a balancing act but my word isn't it an interesting sight to see the Welsh Conservatives you know, really thinking hard about what their core values are um, and landing with this particular issue to champion at a time when, you know, the, the party across the border has been increasingly, in inverted commas, not on the, you know, perceived as not being a, a representing Wales particularly well. I think it's very interesting. Um, and, you know, no doubt when next time we have Tom Giffard or Sam Kurtz back on the pod, be something we'll pick up with them, no doubt. Predictions for the game? To end? The, the game will end. <laughs> Gary? Right. Oh, rugby. That's, what can you do? It's my passionate Welsh rugby, but the, the head will say that Scotland should come and win. But the heart has seen the team announced today, young team, a few old heads, and I don't mean the ones that are retired, but a few players you'd like to see there, probably like Will Rowlands, not there. But, you know, I, I think on their day, who knows? I, I I've still got images of uh, not that old, but the Keith Jarrett try against England. Either of you know about that? When was that? It, it, it's black and white, Matt. But it's on his debut from fullback, scored a try against England, and I'm just thinking, uh, you know, I'd like to see the Cardiff 15 on his debut do something like that. I think I think cards play a place in the game, so. I don't think it's going to be a cricket score. I think we'll be in the mix. But the heart, the head says uh, Scotland will win. But uh, the heart is always there for Wales. And uh, and then I, I, I'm going to Twickenham the week after. So we'll we'll see. That's that's that's. The well, I'm still a Welshman. If we beat England, it's a great season. So. <laughs> Uh, how about you, Matthew? If you, if you oh, I, I, yeah, I think it'll be something like 32 points to 13, something like that. Oof, wow. Bold. Rich, go on, give us a proper prediction. No, I'm not going to give a prediction. I just think I can't even bear to myself to say it. It's going to be different. I just, my hope is simply that the, uh, the atmosphere is convivial and that the fans of all sides have a great day out. That is the biggest cop-out uh, answer ever. Yeah. I, Rugby, I just Rugby's want everybody to have fun. Rugby's the winner. Um, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want people to be drunk in the stadium and I don't want them to stand up in front of me and all that kind of... <laughs> I I will I I will just be happy if I get through the day without having seen a kilt lifted up in front of me. That's, <laughs> that is all I'm looking forward to, really. Mm. Anyway, on that cheery, cheery note, we've got to let Kerry go off to dinner. So uh, thank you to both my uh, co-hosts, uh, Mr. Richard Martin. Where can people find you online, Rich? Uh, back on Twitter, because it's just such a lovely place, at Mimosa Cymru, as always. Thank you to also Kerry Davis. Mr. Davis, where can people find you online? They can find me online and they know it's Kerry the Viking. But just on that dinner comment, I've been away since last Sunday, so I haven't seen my daughters till today. And they're both ill off school. So I am going to sit down with them 
and let them moan at me about how ill they are on what they've done. So it's Kerry the Viking online, and I'm not apologising for a family dinner for the first time in four days. And nor should you. I'm really hoping. I'm really hoping that all they want to talk about is the, the Labour leadership contest. Kerry. Yeah, That's me too. Be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dad, teach us about politics. No. Um... They don't, they don't, they don't. They, I think that's an interesting one for a pod because we'll have to do how people influence their children. So I try not to. They don't get any of that at all. They've got to make their own um, mind in life and the world and stuff. So that would be an interesting one to look at how people do that. Mm, that's a good That's a good idea for a future pod. Um, you can find me on uh... Walescast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Well done. Uh, you can find me at Hexter101. Thank you very much for listening. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please don't forget to find us on all the socials at Here I Pod. You can go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallet, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Here I Pod. Thank you for listening to Here I. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. <laughs>